Welcome to our Disciplines of Discipleship series. Uh, Pastor Andy and Pastor Sam uh, join me in extending a very warm Zoom welcome to this, our first segment in the series. I have to say more personally that I think we, the entire IPC family, um, are very blessed to not only have the benefit of Andy and Sam's guidance through this series, but also just access to some of their more personal reflections and experiences and wisdom on the topic of spiritual disciplines. Um, my name is Tabby Holler-Jordan and I'm delighted to facilitate our discussion today. Um, Andy, before we launch into the discussion, I just wanted to invite you to lead us in prayer uh, for a few moments. I'd be glad to. Uh, let us pray together. Uh, gracious God and Father, we thank you for this season that is ahead of us now where we sense by your spirit that we are being drawn to the Savior's side to walk with him through uh, these 40 and some days uh, to draw nearer to him, uh, to sense that he's calling us on a journey and to go where he leads. We pray that our discussions, our sermons, our prayers, and that this whole season of Lent 2021 would be a formative experience for all of us, a milestone in each of our faith journeys and in our faith journey together as the IPC family. Would you be with us, Lord God, by your spirit? Would you help us to have wisdom and insight from your word and from one another's experience and from uh, the Christian past to follow Jesus well with intentionality and with joy and with a sense of great discovery and especially help uh, Tabby as she guides our conversation and Sam and I as we try to respond faithfully and helpfully. We commit our time to you and this whole season to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. And Andy, let me just um, kick off our conversation um, around just definitional clarity, right? I mean, it's been quite interesting for me as I've prepared for this session, just doing some preliminary research, and there seem to be a whole host of definitions out there about, you know, what are spiritual disciplines, um, and perhaps even relating it to IPC specifically. Do you think there's any connection between spiritual disciplines and the up, in, and out framework um, that we've been, we've been working with? And why study them now? Um, you know, obviously tomorrow is Ash Wednesday, so there's obviously, I think, a connection to Lent. But any reflections about what do we mean by spiritual disciplines? What is their relevance to us at IPC? And um, is there any significance to the timing? Um, I guess that would be, it's kind of a heavy question, but but three parts sure. of the question. <laughs> I probably won't get them in order, but let's try. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for that question. Um, you know, um, disciplines, spiritual disciplines, or as we're calling them, the disciplines of discipleship, I think of them as just ways to intentionally apprentice ourselves to Jesus, God's son, right? Uh, Jesus embodies true humanity and also represents God to us at the very same time. And so if we want to know what it's like to follow God, uh, we watch his son do it. And we try to imitate him and then all of the people in the scriptures who are imitating one another as they each imitate Christ uh, gives us this kind of uh, pattern of what apprenticeship to Jesus looks like. And so I thought, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a weighty burden as the pastor, you know, in, in something like November or September or some October or something like that. Uh, Bev Visser uh, always emails me and says, I know it's really early, but in six months or whatever, Lent is starting and we need to start on the Lenten devotional. And I think to myself, how is it? How are we talking about Lent already? And so all of a sudden, then I feel this weight on my shoulders to, to help us figure out what the theme is going to be, which means that's what we're going to preach on and everything. And, and I think that at that time, I just really sensed that the Lord was uh, drawing me towards more intentionality in my own pattern of discipleship. It's so easy as a pastor to get up in front of everybody and to kind of, you know, bless everyone in God's name and to, to 
give official pronouncements from the word, thus saith the Lord kind of stuff. And, um, and it's a, a whole nother thing as a pastor to actually have our hearts apprenticed to the heart of Jesus and have our rhythms of our days and our, our lives and our habits shaped by the life of Jesus himself. Uh, so I sensed maybe a little bit of professionalism overtaking my primary identity, which is as a Christian believer and, and maybe thought to myself, good grief. If I'm going to shepherd these people, uh, I better make sure that I'm a sheep getting some shepherding myself. And so I thought the best way to, um, to learn something is to teach it. Uh, what happens when you agree to teach something is you end up studying it and learning from other people. And uh, so I'm kind of on this journey with, with everybody. And I thought, um, well, here's a chance for me to, me to be humble and, and to recognize that I'm a learner alongside of everybody else. And, and that this might be a blessing to our whole congregation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Did I forget any of your excellent questions well, along I was, the way? <laughs> you, you, you implied an answer, which I thought was really mm-hmm. interesting in terms of the up, in, and out, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of the weaving those three foci, if you will, into mm-hmm. kind of cadence in our lives, right? I mean, to some extent, it's it's moving them into kind of a habituated cadence right how do we live our lives how 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 can we apprentice ourselves ourselves quite practically right in terms of those those guidelines um uh, and again so i think i think that is you certainly touched on that but i don't know if there was anything else you wanted to add um up in or out yeah i i think that um so up in and out is something we've talked about as a church now for three years and that is a way of trying to have balance in our Christian lives and in our life as a community together to make sure that we're not just praying and worshiping and studying up, not just loving and caring for one another and spending quality time together as God's people um, in, uh, and not just um, thinking about our neighbors and how we can share the love of Christ with them in word and deed, but doing all of those three and making sure that those things are happening kind of in every little corner of our life together as a church. And so I think that, yes, um, being focused on on that balance and that dynamic up in and out has made me very conscious of the fact that if I am not auditing my own life, like up in and out is kind of a way of auditing our church life to make sure that we're healthy and balanced. And if I'm not auditing my own life, um, then someone else or something else is going to set the agenda for my moments and my days, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that him take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. I want my life and I want our, our church to be consecrated to the Lord in all things. And um, uh, Annie Dillard says, a schedule is a net for catching days. And I'm tired of seeing so many of my days uh <laughs> You know, I'm not even swinging a net at the day and trying to catch it, right? And then the day is over, and I haven't even talked to Jesus, <laughs> or or like, or entered into His presence in any meaningful way. And and I think once you, once as a Christian leader, you realize that you're calling people to intentionally live the Christian life. <laughs> at some point, you look in the mirror and you go, "You too, buddy. <laughs> Make sure that you're catching your days." with the net of grace as well. So I think that's part of yeah. part of what got into me. No, that's that's really powerful. And I love that notion of kind of raising the bar around intentionality. And Sam, I wanted to turn to you because, you know, when we were preparing, I remember that Andy said that you're actually our resident expert in this area. So I'm putting the heat on here. Um, and that you've been inspired, right? All of us have been inspired by your understanding and practice of the spiritual disciplines. And again, perhaps more personally, you know, how did you end up being our spiritually disciplined pastor? And, um, <laughs> you know, what what are some of the ingredients in that? Um, and maybe even lessons learned. I, I'd love the idea of kind of all the nooks and crannies of our lives, you know, allowing us to put some kind of magnifying glass and, and not, as you said, Andy, for kind of a, a brutal, you know, objective evaluation where you get a scorecard at the end of every day, but somehow 
bringing that moment of reflection and perspective to um, the many decisions that kind of populate a given day. Um, mm-hmm. just, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thanks for asking. You know, I, I sort of shudder to think that I'm the expert. Um, <laughs> but uh, Andy and I have talked a decent amount about this, and I've been able to share with a number of church people in IPC and talk through some of these things. And, um, you know, it, for me, it has become a passion in my life. And the reason is I could share a much longer story, but I'll give a short one. The reason is, is uh, essentially when I was in my 20s and beginning seminary, uh, my entire faith was left-brained. It was all about knowledge and acquiring knowledge and black and white, um, understanding systematic theology, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, I was in I was in seminary and I'm working full time in ministry as a youth and young adult pastor, um, but also in seminary part time nights and weekends. And I sort of saw this disconnect where I understood systematic theology. But when meeting with people or in an intense crisis situation with someone, I felt like I had no tools. I felt like I didn't understand what they were going through. I felt like I could give them these intellectual platitudes that really didn't help. And I sort of felt lost. And and so actually with, um, we could talk about this, I'm sure at a later date, but with my spiritual director uh, at the time, I started working through this stuff. It's just, just much like a mentor, a spiritual mentor. And um, I decided to switch my master's studies from a master's in divinity to a master's in Christian formation and soul care. Mm. And what that essentially is, is it's a study of how we grow as Christians and some of the history of how we grow uh, more like Christ. And for me, it was so helpful because my theological training was always just very rigid and black and white and linear that it sort of gave me some background, gave me some history, gave me some tools to use uh, that weren't just, you know, someone comes into my office in a crisis situation, I give them a Bible verse and the meaning in Greek, and I send them on their way. But it is a practice where I began to have tools then how I could walk through this with people, how we could go through some of these things like prayer and spiritual listening, and even things like giving and fasting together. Um, And so in my own experience, It was very applicable to study, but then also for my own individual spiritual life, much like Andy was saying, I started to practice these things sometimes for school assignments, sometimes to just begin to learn about them. And I began to grow spiritually. I began to see things in a much more sort of a bigger picture, if you will. And, um, you know, one of my favorite phrases is uh, from Eugene Peterson. He's a American pastor, you can read about, he's written a lot about these things. And he says, deep down, the pastorate is about the cure of souls. Mm. Um, And I think as a pastor, I was really learning that. And so for me, these sort of things really became an active part of my life. Mm. And um, I really like the phrase you said, actually, Tabby, just a moment ago, about habitual cadence, Mm. you know, that this is exactly what we're talking about. It's not just praying when there's a crisis. But a spiritual discipline of prayer is that habitual cadence where we make prayer a regular part of our daily life. Um, And these lessons learned for me were absolutely that. The second part of your question was about what lessons have I learned? It's that when we have these habitual cadences, when we make these spiritual disciplines part of our regular pattern, part of our regular day, part of a regular week, or even month or year, um, that we begin to see these lessons and they begin to actually in a weird way, teach each other. So when we're practicing new disciplines, they inform the things we're already good at. So if we're really good at study and we begin to practice solitude, we find that the solitude helps aid in our study and these sorts of things. Um, and so this hab- habitual nature of these things really benefited me. And that's sort of how I came into this. So I shudder to think again that I'm the expert, um, but I've been working through these things for, Oh man, it's been a number of years now, at least between five and 10 years now, making these a regular part of my life. And um, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful experience for me. And so it's a joy to be able to sort of share some of these things and walk through these things with IPC as we go through this together. Right. right. I mean, it's, it's a really powerful point you made, Sam, and it's very, very much mirrors, Andy, a point that you made that kind of simultaneously being teacher and learner, right? That, that as we study and practice, right, there is this balancing effect right of bringing those two and as you said left and right brain i mean that's that's another balancing effect i think in in kind of 
incorporating this as as a practice and a mindset um, together. But again, maybe to be a little bit provocative, because you've both you know made some very strong arguments for why and how spiritual disciplines right give us some scaffolding um, and in terms of kind of the the reality of our daily lives, but also the soul care um, that you both commented on. Is there something that we need to be cautious about that we can potentially get wrong? Um, because I can see with, you know, this incredible exuberance, um, you know, on the surface, you know, why wouldn't anyone um, kind of delve into this? But is there something that kind of milestones or guideposts that you would both recommend that we keep in mind as we embark on this journey? Um, perhaps some cautionary perspectives and and so on and and again maybe this would feed into both of your experiences and so on but maybe Andy I'll start with you is there just something that that we can get wrong or perhaps we misunderstand about what the spiritual disciplines are about mm -hmm. um and so on because there does seem to be there can be kind of this mystique about what they mean and people have very strong potentially strong reactions one way or another um, but but any clarifying perspectives you can each offer up, I think, would be really, really helpful. Andy, I'll, I'll just kick off with you. Sure, sure. Thanks. Yeah, I I am like one of the most Protestant Protestants that I know in the sense that, like, I just really think that there was a lot of wisdom in some of the reforms of, of the 16th century and onward. And I appreciate uh, the Catholic tradition that has gone on since then in a lot of respects, but, um, but I was kind of raised to be suspicious of anything that sounded a little bit like either mystical in the Eastern sense or mystical in the Catholic, but not really Protestant sense. And so I had like a, a little chip on my shoulder for a number of years about spiritual disciplines. And I think I had a, a, a oh, and, and I should say that like, in some ways for good reason, right? It's, it is easy to think that you are doing a work that will make God love you more or bless you more uh, when you get up in the morning and you start checking off your list of all the spiritual heroics that you're going to undertake that day, right? Um, I think that we need to get out of the mindset of impressing God into loving us more and impressing him into blessing us more um, the face of God in Jesus Christ is shining upon us by grace and by grace alone. And, um, and that grace is expressed in the, in the giving of Jesus for us. That's the heart of, of the Protestant Reformation too. Um, and so it is a, a danger when, um, when our souls and our brains are all twisted up and confused about um, what, good works are and what role they play in the Christian life. That's a, that's a tough thing. And you don't want to get into the habit of trying to impress God with any of your good works and especially not with your spiritual disciplines. However, I had a sort of breakthrough for me. It was a very important breakthrough. Um, at one point, maybe actually a, a twin breakthrough, if you'll allow me to explain both parts of them. Um, the first one was, uh, I used to think that the goal of human life, the goal of human existence was um, to get saved, to, to experience the forgiveness of God in Christ who died for our sins, period. Like that's the whole point of life. And then I became a Presbyterian and they say, okay, question number one, what is the chief end of man, right? Like what, what are humans for? And the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right. And so I thought, Oh goodness. So I am here for more than just recognizing and accepting that Jesus has died for my sins. I am here to actually turn and to glorify God with my life. Right. So that was like breakthrough number one. And then at some point I also reckoned with the second half of that answer to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. And I thought, where is, where is my enjoyment of God outside of that typical right-brained, is it right-brained stuff that's 
intellectual, I don't even remember. No, left brain, mm-hmm. left brain. Sam's correcting me. See, I told you he's the expert. Um, I was left brained. In other words, just like Sam was talking about theology, systematics, know your Bible, know the facts and live by those facts. Um, but ironically, my Presbyterianism, <laughs> which is very bookish, taught me eventually that the whole point of my human life and all of ours is that we might enjoy God and enjoy God forever. And that coincided with another breakthrough quote that I heard from Dallas Willard, who says, yes, you are not saved by earning anything. Your relationship with God does not depend on you earning his favor. But he says, and this is the breakthrough, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. (laughs) There's a huge difference then, right? Between um, earning and effort. And Paul uses all kinds of metaphors of a boxer training in the gym, of somebody who is trying to run an Olympic race. Um, And he talks about disciplining his body and how that's a good thing, but how spiritual discipline is of value for all of life because it allows us the freedom uh, to glorify God more naturally and spontaneously. And it allows us the pleasure of enjoying God while we do so. Right. For me, that just made all the difference in the world and it evaporated my (laughs) straw man arguments against the spiritual disciplines, which was really just kind of a a dumb Protestant prejudice that I had. And, um, and I was starting to all of a sudden become very much teachable on this subject uh, and I'm still learning. So. Well, it's very helpful. Sam, what, what are your reflections building on, on Andy? Yeah. Well, I'm glad Andy, you mentioned that, that famous Willard quote, because that is for me also, I remember the first time I really grasped that effort versus earning and thinking, oh, that's really helpful. Right. Um, so that, that's one. And then anyone who's ever talked with me about these things. And, uh, if we talk in the future, you'll hear me say this when we talk about pitfalls of these things and potential things is that when we talk about the spiritual disciplines, it's about being and not doing. Mm -hmm. And this is an essential thing for us to understand, right? If we want a scriptural basis for this, it's Psalm 46, 10, you know, to be still and know that I am God, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and even, well, natural human human life is about we get in a pattern of achievement and seeking past success right and and so we do this in all areas of life but then we also do it spiritually if you think about what we call like the spiritual mountaintops that we have so maybe it's the first time you experience it as a youth camp as a teenager and you feel so close to god and then the next time and then you come back down from camp or you come back down from the mountaintop and life's really hard and you're seeking that next thing you can't wait till camp next summer we do the same thing as adults. We go to a church, we go to a church service, we hear a worship song, we hear a pastor preach, we connect with people, and we're looking for that experience again. And so oftentimes what we're doing is we're trying to, to do something. We're trying to achieve. We're trying to hold on to that past success. The disciplines are, are not about that. The disciplines are about being in the moment and being in the moment each day with God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that is why when we talk about potential worries or pitfalls, they're not to be feared. You know, it's like when you go on a hike, you go on a hike, you plan ahead a little bit, you use your GPS, or if you're old fashioned, you use a compass and a map and, and you have a plan, right? So, so the spiritual disciplines are like hiking. They're not wandering aimlessly, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and Andy brought up this word, use this word mysticism, which sometimes people will say you're here. And, and mysticism really is just about inner experience. And so when we talk about the spiritual disciplines, what we're talking about is what's going inside us each and every day. What's happening in our spiritual life? How is our heart responding to God? What is happening? What are we thinking? What are we feeling? What's going on inside you? And one of the, 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 the ways to avoid any of these pitfalls is, is to not seek achievement, but just about being in God's presence. And we can do these in, 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 of course, a myriad of ways. We're going to talk about all the different disciplines, but also, you know, simple things we can do is also make sure we're not doing it alone. 
right? There's, there's accountability through mentoring and through other people and talking about the things we're learning. You can journal, keep yourself accountable. You know, there's so many ways to avoid any potential pitfalls you may hear about from other people. But ultimately, what I always tell people and the, the kind of focus I always try to have is really about being and not doing or achieving. And when we talk about that, then it's, it's, it's much simpler to look at Psalm 4610 and say, wow, being still and being in God's presence each and every day, not trying to have the wonderful quiet time I had yesterday, but having my time with God here and now. And so if we focus on that, we focus on the moment, we focus on what's in front of us. I don't think that these pitfalls that we sometimes think about or some of these, um, not even problems, let's just keep that word pitfalls, um, aren't as big of a deal as maybe we may think. Uh, but it's always good to have someone to walk through those things if they do come up, I guess. I thought of, I thought of one other thing that I might want to add, uh, if I may. And, uh, and that is that what I'm learning is that the, the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of discipleship, they are practices. In other words, they are practice. Uh, Brother Lawrence has a book, Practicing the Presence of God. And the reason that you practice is so that when the moment comes where you actually need to be like Christ for the sake of your neighbor, you are well practiced in, in knowing the habits and the, the rhythms of Christ. Um, Willard says that you don't just wake up one day after having watched a lot of NBA basketball and walk onto the court. Maybe he uses baseball, but since you guys don't know about baseball being as it's so American, um, anyway, but you don't walk on the court and, and just challenge LeBron James to one-on-one -on -one and expect any chance of winning. Right. Um, the only way you can, you can be competitive at all is if doing layups and shooting foul shots and three pointers and turnaround jump shots and post-ups and all these other just normal fundamental basketball uh, bread and butter moves have become kind of habituated in your very body right in your muscle memory so to speak and so the spiritual practices that we're talking about uh, the disciplines of discipleship are intentional times of practice where you are developing sort of spiritual muscle memory You've been in God's presence and conscious of God's word and of the pattern of Jesus's own life and way that he reacts to crowds and individuals and critics and crises and all the rest of it. So that when the moment comes and LeBron James pulls you out of the crowd and says, hey, want to do some one-on-one, -on -one? <laughs> then you can at least make a layup if he gives you a little bit of room, right? I know that's a ridiculous an analogy in some ways, but you don't just show up on the spot and all of a sudden perform with Christ-like grace. Mm -hmm. You do so because you are in the practice of being with Christ um, you can think of it as you play your, you practice your piano scales so that if somebody says, Hey, the, uh, the, the pianist didn't show up, could you play the offertory at church that you could sit down and, and play something that would be called music instead of just leaning on the keyboard. Uh, another analogy that I often think of is I think to myself, I would die for my wife and for my children in a heartbeat, right? I would sacrifice my life for them. I just love them so much. But what's more, much more important, uh, my life may not have a moment where I have to do that heroic thing, right? But what's much more important is, um, will my whole life be sort of laid down as an offering to improve and enrich their, their life and their experience in a Christ-like way? That's what really counts and in order to be there for my, my wife and for my children, for my congregation, for my friends. Yeah, I have to be in the, in the practice of, of grace, in the presence of Jesus regularly. So I hope that that's a, another good distinction is we're not going into our, our um, sort of private prayer closets and impressing God in order to get his favor. But we're also not pretending that that is the the only place that these things matter 
actually where they matter is in our relationships and in our interaction with our neighbor. When I'm confronted with somebody without a home who asks for, uh, for food, I want to be able to respond in the appropriate Christ-like way. And if I'm not habituated to the compassion of Jesus, uh, there's no chance that I'm going to respond in a Christ-like way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, there are several themes you both brought up that that are so rich, right? I mean, one to me is how we reconcile kind of our inner and outer lives, right? Because if that bridge isn't strong and kind of um, earthquake-proof, um, to you know, in terms of the reflexivity, right, of of the spiritual disciplines, you know, their cracks begin to appear. I think, and the other issue is that the other theme that I'm hearing is just the power of presence, right? I mean, to some extent, the disciplines are all about re-anchoring our presence, and it's interesting because I see this challenge in the corporate sector all the time that people have lost the ability to pay attention. So you literally are offering courses and how to pay attention. And, you know, there's a book that came out recently on focus, right? What is focus? How do you learn how to focus, right? And we're living in a profoundly um, kind of ADHD world right now, right? It's very difficult to kind of anchor ourselves in that presence. So, you know, it would seem to me that there's even more urgency than ever attached to these spiritual disciplines because, it is all too easy to be not only in the world, but of the world. And I, I think that kind of, it's kind of a, uh, a center of gravity pull, right? And, and so we have to apply that counterweight. And something, a term that I ran across in, in my own research, and I wanted your both of you to comment, because I thought it was a wonderful um, concept, was Richard Foster talked about spiritual density as being tied to the spiritual disciplines. And and I think it's a little bit to your point about muscle memory, Andy, that, you know, we need to, the the notion of density, right? Um, Which is, you know, going as deep as possible and seeing that as part of our journey of Christian maturity, that as we build layering upon layering, right? of, Of our anchoring, that that will allow, it's kind of, you know, a, a well-rooted tree can take a hurricane. A tree whose roots are not deep will not take a hurricane, right? So I think there is this sense of deep rootedness that will allow our branches, right, to withstand the onslaught of inclement weather, right? And, and I guess that's the metaphor that I'm hearing kind of both of you suggest. But that notion of spiritual density, I don't know if you any reflections you have, but it was kind of an interesting concept to me um, because I do think there's a depth and breadth to the spiritual disciplines. It's an ongoing journey, right? This is not one with the finish line. We can't arrive four months from now and say, great, right? I get the spiritual discipline medal. I get the Uh certificate, right? (laughs) Right, right. I want my certificate. Um, And getting rid of, and, you know, and yet so much of our lives are around destinations, right? Um, And and we, we focus our sense of impact and orientation around how am I moving you know, am I getting the right milestones? Am I getting the right certificates? Am I getting acknowledged in the way that I wish to? So that externality of feedback that we are so dependent on in the secular world, right? Is, is as you said, the the um, the Willard comment is, is contrary to that, right? And so again, I just throw that out as a concept because I just thought it was very helpful to think about the layering of, pre- of our presence, right? And, and moving it to a deeper, a deeper and more substantive place. Absolutely. Um, the the one metaphor that really resonates is the rootedness question, the tree that can weather the storm. Uh, we just had a once every 15 years sort of snowfall here in Zurich. And there's two apple trees outside of our apartment. And we watched as the snow piled up on the branches that one of the apple trees started bending down towards the ground. And my wife and I had this ongoing kind of debate about whether this apple tree was going to make it or whether it was a goner. 
And I kept saying, no, it's going to be fine. Its roots are down deep. And with every day, it kept leaning over further and further until it was almost 90 degrees uh, flat against the ground, perpendicular. I don't know my geometry, but it was against the ground. Um, And I kept being stubborn and saying, it's going to be fine. You know, they'll yank it back up. It's got deep roots. My wife was just like, you're crazy. It's dead. It's, It's not dead. It's rooted. The next day, we looked out there and... And somebody had come with the chainsaw and had chopped the tree into a thousand pieces. And uh, she said, how's your tree tree doing? And I, and I looked out and immediately the Monty Python uh, thing came to me and I said, it's just a flesh wound. It's not dead yet, <laughs> but it was, it was a goner. Right. And that's been a, that's been a, a metaphor that I've been thinking about a lot recently that I want to be somebody whose roots are deep enough that when the the snow starts piling up on my branches, uh, you know, it's not going to be the end that there's going to still be apples next spring and fall and that birds will still have a place to perch and all these things that I'll be around for a couple more seasons rather than being totally undone by things. And and the world is hard and, and life is, is full of sorrows. And, and yet, uh, as Paul describes, you know, we could be, we could be in one sense wasting away because of just the piling on of sorrows um, and yet being inwardly renewed day by day, right? I want to be somebody who, when my body is old and withered and I can, I need somebody to carry me around or, or push me in a wheelchair or, or whatever else. Um, I want to be somebody that is, is so spiritually renewed that I'm ready to die and be joyful about it. Uh, and I want, I want at the end of my life, people to be able to say, uh, at my funeral, um, you know, Andy, you had some real quirks. He was kind of an idiot in these ways, but you know what his inner, his innards really sweetened over time and God's grace was evident. Um, in those internal ways to where I felt comfortable finally uh, imitating some of the things in his life. I mean, I don't want that for my own legacy. I just want that because <laughs> I want, I want my children to, to have um, some sense of uh, a real Christian life that sweetens over time. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those are just some things that come to mind. Sam, I'm sure you got other good things to say. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a powerful phrase, this idea of spiritual density. Um, you know, Andy, that the, the root analogy is, is a, is a really good one, right? This is what Paul talks about. I believe to the Ephesian church rooted and established in love, right? That we're rooted down as disciples, as, as the church. And, um, you know, the thought I immediately had was that if you asked a Christian, what's the point of this life? I don't think a term like spiritual density would come up, right? I think that most people would sort of answer something along the lines of, well, it's, to live a good life, right? To be a good person, to do your best, right? And I understand that, of course, that's 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 our inclination. But I would argue that maybe the goal of the Christian life is to meet a deeper need within us, right? Um, if we think about how the whole story started, it was God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, you know? And that's, to me, a really powerful thing when I think about our calling in this world, it's to walk with God through life. And then to use the teachings of Christ to carry that out, it is then to bring the kingdom of God to earth, that same kingdom in the garden where we're walking with God. And so spiritual density, to me anyways, Tabby, what I think of is this idea of being filled with the presence of God, so that then when we go out, like we were just talking about a few minutes ago, that that, that's the thing that's sort of exuding from us. It's almost like, I mean... (laughs) Andy, you have teenage boys, so maybe this analogy will make more sense. It's like oozing from our pores, right? <laughs> that this, there's this like spirit, there's this, this presence of God just coming out of us. I have no idea what, what how that metaphor works, Sam. No <laughs> idea. That's right. I remember being a teenage boy once and, and yes, anyways, point being. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of references to this sort of thing in scripture and in Christian literature, right? Um, the Valley of Vision is a book of prayers that I know both of you know. Uh, it's a collection of Puritan prayers from the 17th and 18th centuries. And one of my favorite ones, I may have even talked with you about this, Tabby, before, talks about being quarried deep, being dug down deep, and then being filled with God. 
another one that I love is there's a very odd book called um, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's by an 18, 17th, 17th century British um, Puritan pastor. And one of the analogies he gave, and this is what I first thought of when you said spiritual density, was that consider a jar that's empty. When something from the outside hits that jar, it makes a big echoing, like clanging noise, right? The, the sound echoes around. But if that jar is filled with water or filled with grain or filled with flour and something hits that jar, yeah. you hear nothing. Yeah. And so when I hear that term spiritual density, that's what I think of. When we, not only are we practicing the presence of God, like we talked about with Brother Lawrence, not only are we filling ourselves with the presence of God to share it with this world, but then it also creates a durability in us as Christian believers that when things from this world do come, negative things, difficult circumstances, the result is not this loud wailing sound, but it's sort of this deadening sound against us because we are so spiritually dense and firmly planted or rooted, as Andy's saying, in the Lord. So that when that snowstorm comes, we think, well, this is cold and uncomfortable, but I know I'm okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I really, your comments are both just incredibly inspiring. And I'm I'm conscious that, you know, this was kind of our kickoff session, um, but we will take each spiritual discipline as a discrete topic. And I thought it might be interesting just by way of a teaser, just to kind of segue a little bit into, you know, um, solitude and silence, which will be our first spiritual discipline. And and I guess I would ask simply because I, I really like both of your reflections about how you have kind of brought these spiritual disciplines to your own daily practice. So I thought one question that I could ask at this point is, um, how does silence and, and solitude kind of manifest themselves in your daily life? Is there, do, do you each have a certain ritual or routine? Is it a presencing of those elements in your day that you're conscious of? Is it something that is more organic in terms of how your day unfolds? But I thought it would, it would give all of our listeners an opportunity to kind of reflect on that question before we meet again, um, mm. just in terms of where you see or aspire to bring silence and solitude to your life. Um, you both have families, you have lots of things going on. So oftentimes people say, oh my word. And it reminds me, I think there was a, a title of a book, um, you know, you're you're too busy not to pray kind of thing. <laughs> so I feel as if there's kind That's of a good. counter logic, right? To, to solitude and silence that all the more reason, the busier we are, all the more reason to ensure that we are inserting and injecting kind of that presencing through silence, silence and solitude um, in our lives. But in, any reflections that come to mind before, before we close? I wanna hear uh, just a little teaser about, about Sam's own practice with these disciplines, but I'll tell you, I'm in phase one of silence and solitude, which I think is just that, that I'm ready to admit that I'm, I'm crowding my eardrums with noise. Mm -hmm. that my attention is stolen uh, by the clamors of the world. And, you know, uh, I, I'm one of those kinds of people who I can't even imagine like going to the bathroom and not taking my phone with me and checking out social media to see what's going on. Like, I don't even know what I did with before these things. And here I come to Zurich and I'm like, who's my associate pastor? I've never seen him on Twitter or Facebook. Like, is, does this guy even exist? And apparently he does. And he's never had those accounts and his life is okay without them. And I realized it's possible actually to give your attention to other things than these things that I'm so attentive to. And so I guess I'm in that phase, maybe phase 1.5, right? Where I've already recognized that my attention will be taken if I don't direct it. And I'm beginning, just beginning to learn what it's like to not uh, allow myself to be inundated with the noise of the world uh, and the noise of, of even, even other people, well-meaning people and, and what's going on in their lives so that I can be alone with myself for the first time. I don't think that, I think the hardest thing about, about being alone with God is that we don't even know how to be alone, period, alone with ourselves, period. Uh, 
Uh, we think it's a tragedy. Um, if, if there's silence, something must be wrong. <laughs> right. Um, in my house, I know that if, if all of a sudden it's quiet, that there's something really bad going on. Um, but, uh, but I think that, that silence is the, is rightly, I think one of the first disciplines to attend to because to being in God's presence is impossible. If we can't, uh, just hit the mute button on some of these other attention grabbing, uh, things in our lives. But what do you think, Sam, as somebody who's never been on social media, is this like, tell me about your practice and right, right. Well, I don't want to give away too much for our next talk, but Mm -hmm. I will say this, maybe people are only going to listen to this one. So if I have to say something, (laughs) this is what I'll say. I was on social media at one time or another. Um, Oh boy. And that stuff aside, that was one piece of many, right? Uh, I'll say this. Everyone's going to have this experience as they go through these disciplines. Some things are going to be natural and easy for some, and some things are going to be really difficult. And with these two, I really like talking about them together because solitude is very easy for me. Silence is very difficult for me. And I'm going to be a hundred percent honest with everyone here. The reason was, is when I was encountered with silence for the first time, not reading something not thinking about my grocery list, not thinking about my, my to-do list for tomorrow, but actually sitting in silence, I realized that I didn't like a lot of my own thoughts. Mm. That I, not only just I didn't like them, but if I'm being totally honest, I was ashamed of the things I thought. And that's a hard thing to do because to sit down and be silent is to acknowledge that this is part of who I am. Mm. And I need to allow God into that space. And I need to trust, one, that God forgives even those things. And two, that God will be gentle and that God will be loving with who I really am. Mm. Not my achievements, not my successes, not how everyone loves me as as a youth pastor at the time when I was going through this. And so silence was hard for me for that reason. Solitude was easy, too, because I was using it as a selfish practice. See... With, with the disciplines, we can actually make these things that look good from the outside selfish. Mm. So just one quick example, I, I love cycling. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, my, my solitude will be going on long bike rides. And I'll just go on a four-hour bike ride and just tell everyone, oh, I'm, I'm having a little, like a, a little t- a solitude time, right? Or I'm going to be with God. No, really, I'm just going on a bike ride because that's what I want to do. And I'm telling people it's one thing so they think better of me. Mm. And so... As we look at these things, this is going to be a theme that's going to come up. Silence and solitude for me, one was easy because I was using it selfishly. And one was hard because I didn't like what was going on. But we need to bring both of these things to the center, which is where Christ resides, and then have them actually become spiritual disciplines and not things we run from and not things that we use for our advantage. Mm. Uh, and that's where that growth really takes place. And that, if anyone has gone through these things knows that's where it gets really uncomfortable and hard. But that's why we're talking about these things, right? That's why we're preaching on these things. That's why we're going through this Lenten devotional to actually examine our hearts, as Andy, I know we'll talk about as the time comes in the sermons with Psalm 139, you know, examine or, you know, search me, God, and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. That's a scary prayer. And silence and solitude force us to do those things. That's very powerful. Um, in some respects, a perfect way to end, um, simply because I think that's a very provocative thought, right? And, and I yes. think it's, um, it will allow us, I think, to venture quite deeply in our next, next uh, session. Well, before we, we close, and, and uh, Sam, if you could close us in prayer, that would be wonderful. But do you have, either of you have any closing thoughts or reflections that you'd like to share with everyone as kind of food for thought for our next session? Um, I think we've covered a lot of good territory. We really have. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just excited to keep learning. Um, this is such a fun, a little scary, but mostly fun <laughs> and adventuresome process. Cause I really resonate with what Sam said that yeah, that's very the, I think the reason we resist some of these things is because we're afraid of ourselves yeah. <laughs> and maybe for good reason. There's some weird stuff in there, <laughs> and, uh, but God already knows us through and through, and he will be much more gentle with us in these things than we are with ourselves. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. Yeah. I'd, I, Sam, as you were speaking, I was thinking about kind of the checklist mentality, right? We kind of say, okay, I did my four hours, right? 
check. Um, and it's so, you know, we have all of these little tricks that we play with one another and with ourselves, right, in terms of kind of giving ourselves that certificate. So that will be a very interesting challenge to explore in our subsequent sessions. But um, thank you both. This has been such a privilege for me, and I've so enjoyed your insights and I've taken copious notes here and, and look forward to building building our own scaffolding. So thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Tabby. Yeah, yeah thanks, been a Tabby. Great, great host. Yeah. So I think this is going to be really fun. And I want to encourage all IPC people, if you listen to this one, keep submitting questions after sermons Absolutely. online and, and, and let us know what you're thinking about. Because having this extra time now, even though we can't meet in person or do a question answer time in person, this is a joy for us. And I would echo Andy's thoughts. I, you know, I studied this stuff in seminary, but after years of making these things habitual or rote, as they say, you know, that's just, it's just what I do, re-engaging in this again has been just as exciting for me. And, and it's so beneficial for all of us to go through these things together um, because we can, like I said, be honest about our weaknesses, but then rejoice in the things we're learning together. So my hope and prayer for all of us is that, and um, unless there's anything else, uh, shall I pray for us? That would be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Lord God, we give you thanks. Uh, at, the at the time of this recording, it is a beautiful sunny day, and for that, we also say thank you. God, would this Lenten season at IPC be one that reminds us uh, of your love, of your grace, and of the joy we have in you. And so, God, as we approach these topics as we go forward with humility and honesty. Um, nurture us along. Show us the light with your scripture. Show us the path we should take. Encourage us through the Holy Spirit and through one another. And really just embolden us, embolden our souls with these things that we would not just take them for these next 40 days, God, but that we would take them and cling to them uh, for years to come. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. And all of these things are such proof. And so for this, we say thank you. And we pray these all in the name of God, the Father, Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Thanks guys. That was really great. Thanks.